Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with You People? Here's some more uncomfortable facts. Thomas Jefferson didn't rape a slave and produce a child. Like was the huge, huge thing that came out in the 90s. And, uh, you know, the 2000s. Thomas Jefferson after his first wife died, hooked up with her half-sister, who was a slave that he had to physically own in order to make sure that she wasn't put on the slave block. So this is a woman who was um, the younger sister of his first wife, someone that Thomas Jefferson repeatedly wrote looked very much like Martha who was already a member of the family. And they proceeded to have six children together. I know a lot of people try and claim, oh, oh, it was rape, it was rape because he owned her. Well, let me put this in perspective for you. Uncomfortable fact number two, uh, marriage contracts for the vast majority of human history, uh, the man owned the woman. That's what marriage contracts were. And he owned the land. So, from Thomas Jefferson's point of view, owning Sally as a slave was no different than owning his first wife as a wife. And uh, uncomfortable fact number uh, three, contrary to what people believe, he didn't just rape her and have one child. Uh, he had six children with her. You know, and maybe that, you know, I, I'm probably already said part of that. But uh, the issue here is that the statement that he raped his slave and produced a child uh, came from the other slave owners. See, they didn't like the idea that he was treating his slave like a wife instead of, you know, what people call a house N-word. Right? So he actually treated her like a wife. Because in his mind, uncomfortable facts number two and one, uh, his sister-in-law, who looked very much like Martha, whom he essentially fell in love with, uh, being owned by him was no different than owning his first wife. And uh, he didn't want her to be tossed on the auction block by his, uh, you know, by any other uh, means or reason. Imagine what would have happened if he had not owned her and she was tossed on the auction block. Uncomfortable fact number four, she would have been uh, bought and paid for by probably by one of his slave-owning enemies, political enemies. And And... You know, let, let's let's make sure we understand here. Back then, slavery was the norm. The idea of abolition was a very, very small minority. Uh, the, one of the most outspoken people for abolition uh, was John Adams, Jefferson's friend, and uh, followed by Thomas Paine, who became an insane psychotic, probably due to lead poisoning, 
and uh, both of whom were Thomas Jefferson's friends, at least for the majority of his life. And yet Thomas Jefferson still owned slaves uh, for political and legal reasons. And yeah, though, by today's standards, absolutely wrong. Um, by back then, Thomas Jefferson believed that the other people were uh, on, mostly on the wrong side, even though he constantly spoke about equality and, and every once in a while talked about ending slavery. <laughs> At the other political opponents, the other Southerners, were still worse than Thomas Jefferson. And uh, I don't really have a high opinion of Thomas Jefferson. And that leads me to, to uncomfortable fact number five. These people that opposed him, who were far worse than him, also didn't like the fact that there were rumors he was educating his children that he got from his illegitimate relationship with his slave. So he went after him. A lot of people went after Thomas Jefferson. And yet, he was Teflon-coded. Which is really part of all of these uncomfortable facts of Thomas Jefferson. You know, going back to uncomfortable fact number four. You know, number three, number two. Uh, and all, all of them accumulating. Think about the society that we were in, where Thomas Jefferson, one, had to own someone he uh, fell in love with, by all accounts fell in love with, in order to prevent political opponents from grabbing her and trying to use her against him. Or, can you imagine that? A political opponent, if Thomas Jefferson had not owned his essentially what he viewed as a second wife. A political opponent buying her and whipping her because she was the spitting image of Martha in order to psychologically harm Thomas Jefferson. These are the type of fucking people that Thomas Jefferson was dealing with in terms of political rivals. Does that make you uncomfortable? It damn sure sh it should make you uncomfortable because these are uncomfortable facts and these are the types of pieces of shit that ran our country so Thomas Jefferson wasn't a saint to begin with and then you have people that were actually worse <sighs> um, uncomfortable or maybe good fact I don't know where you fall on this it is somewhat uncomfortable. But I also think that it's a positive uncomfortable fact about Thomas Jefferson. It's very, very clear that Jefferson did everything possible to make sure that his four surviving children from Sally Hemings had a strong education and received finances from his estate. Uh, you know, before and after he died. And yet he still had to own his children. He still had to own his children to prevent them from being on the auction block and whipped and beaten by his political rivals.
I mean, how... I mean, to, to me, that's really uncomfortable. It's positive that he tried to do something positive for his children. But it's also uncomfortable that the son of a bitch did not fucking move north. He was so interested in his fucking money, he insisted on staying in a location where he had to own his fucking children. So those are uh, at least six uncomfortable facts about Thomas Jefferson. Uh, uncomfortable fact number seven, Thomas Jefferson was very much a modern libertarian slash Republican conservative. He deregulated uh, everything in government, completely destabilizing our central, uh, the idea of a central currency, um, destroying our navy and you know military and army, whatever you want, whatever we had, the militia. Uh, he totally, he totally dis disbanded the vast majority of it, leaving only a handful of ships to protect from piracy. Um, and uh, the probably the only good thing he did is a double-edged sword, Be and that was the Louisiana Purchase, where he bought a huge tracts of land, you know, um, sent Lewis and Clark out on their expedition to map uh, the continent, and uh, in the process gave huge, a huge amount of financing to France, in the middle of their war with Great Britain. So everything he did was to weaken the state and empower the enemies of our former enemy who then realized, oh, wait a second. The only way for Thomas Jefferson to have done that is for him to have totally weakened everything. We could fucking invade. We could do whatever the fuck we want to these colonists. They're going to be our colonists again. And that directly, you know, if you just read any or even look at any of the, of the comments by British Parliament toward the end of Jefferson's, um, toward the end of Jefferson's uh, presidency and right into, uh, I believe it's Madison, came after, they're talking about Jefferson completely destabilizing uh, the, the colonies, and they launched the War of 1812. So we have had a true libertarian small government president. He was our third president, and he directly led us into war because of his ignorant ideas. So to people who say that we've never tried libertarianism, yeah, it cost us. It nearly cost us our independence. Uncomfortable fact number eight, as I believe that was number seven. If not, there's a number seven in there somewhere. Comfortable fact number eight, Thomas Jefferson attempted insurrection in ways that definitely rival what President Trump did.
he brought over a ton of fucking Frenchmen, uh, people that were pissed off with John Adams, re who refused to support Robespierre because he believed that Robespierre ran a bloody government of oppression and he refused to pay back the French what the colonies agreed they owed. And uh, legally he said, we owe the crown and you no longer have a crown. Uh, but morally he said, it's because of what you're doing over there. Thomas Jefferson brought over a ton of Robespierre supporters. Uh, some say at the prodding of Thomas Paine, who was for blood-soaked re uh, revolutions. In fact, this is about the time that Thomas Jefferson said that, you know, tyrants need to all be executed. Although later, later in his life, uh, Thomas Jefferson, or later on, Thomas Jefferson uh, confessed to... Um, you know, when he, when he claimed that, well, now I found out what was really going on over there, um, he rejected that notion, and he rejected Thomas Paine. Um, you know, he said, you guys are sick. You murdered, you murdered thousands. Well, um, before all that happened, in the middle of uh, the re-election campaign for John Adams, Jefferson brought over a bunch of Frenchies who uh, burned him in effigy, and tried to stage uh, major violent demonstrations, threw rocks into the White House, etc., etc., etc. Which led to uncomfortable fact number nine, John Adams passed the Aliens and Seditions Act. And he did it because of a number of reasons. One, we did not have uh, an INS immigration uh, control or any type of thing like that in terms of people coming over to the country. No, no concept of passports or anything. The Aliens and Seditions Act is not the uncomfortable fact. The uncomfortable fact is the vast majority of our immigration laws are based on those. Our laws of sedition and insurrection are taken directly from his uh, his uh, aliens and sedition. You know the 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 acts that outline seditions. So for all those people that say, "Oh, John Adams, he did something terrible," he actually didn't do anything terrible. He created new laws that Congress was late in creating got them passed, and even though they expired, nearly every single one of the things that he laid out have become our modern laws of immigration, of sedition, you know, of uh, outlining what a, what a peaceful demonstration is as opposed to a riot or an act of war. So the uncomfortable fact is John Adams knew what the fuck he was doing, uh, and all these legal scholars are idiots and dumbasses because they don't realize that he actually laid further foundations for our country that we would adopt on a serious basis.
So what am I up to? Uncomfortable fact number nine or ten. Wherever the fuck, wherever the hell I am. Anyway. This one may not be an uncomfortable fact, so I'm just not going to number my uncomfortable facts anymore, especially since I think I lost count. Um, This one may be something that people actually think is a cool fact. The War of 1812, or 1814, is really about when it happened, um, was won by a pirate. And a lot of people say, oh, it was won by the Native Americans who lived down there. They were employed by by uh, uh, Andrew Jackson. Well, I mean, it is true. There was uh, an, an American Indian tribe uh, down there that did participate. Because <laughs> we had no fucking army, thanks to Thomas Jefferson... Uh, but uh, Jean Lafitte, if I remember his name correctly, Jean Lafitte actually had you know nice nice little uh, group of of pirate friends and uh, pirate ships and Andrew Jackson who had absolutely nothing to defeat the British blockade of New Orleans or New Orleans, um, depending on where you are. Um, Managed to get a message out to Jean Lafitte, promising uh, Jean Lafitte a brand new identity um, and riches. Lafitte swooped in with his pirate buddies and said, <laughs> We are Frenchmen uh, who have disavowed France, but really hate the British. And uh, they wiped out the British fleet, basically. It doesn't matter what the American Indian tribe did on the ground. Without the British fleet, the British army was fucked. Period. And so the defeat of New Orleans is firmly in the hands of Jean Lafitte. And the British just weren't able to hold any other any other port, no other port was as important as as um, New Orleans. So what happened? I mean, maybe I should go on more about John Lafitte. Same, same uncomfortable fact. Uh, Jackson supposedly fucked him over, and he and uh, Lafitte sent some nasty little messages to Andrew Jackson. Then Lafitte disappeared. I mean, he actually disappeared. There's no record of his death. There's no record of pirate activity or anything. But it appears that Lafitte may have survived and he had a nice little payday. So uncomfortable fact is a pirate saved us and he may or may not have been part of what we could only assume would be like the witness protection program run by the marshals uh, in modern day. Uh, nobody knows if Jackson actually kept his word and Lafitte wound up becoming this other new person, I believe is in South Carolina, who just suddenly appeared with a ton of fucking money along with like uh, 300 other people. 
or if Lafitte just said, eh, fuck this Jackson fellow. I am going to go and spend my other years on a farm with uh, a lot of my men who are just, we are all going to come in here and say, oh no, we are Americans. We are not Frenchmen. My name is Rob. <laughs> or, uh, or some nonsense. So nobody really knows, but uh, there was, uh, uh, I've seen numerous biographies where Historians are like 99% sure, 90% sure that this guy and these couple hundred people who follow, who were around this guy, who all suddenly appeared, were all members of Lafitte's crew, and Lafitte just took up anchor, burned his ship. Nobody even fucking knows really what happened to his ship. Um, but, uh, yeah... I'm pretty sure that he wound up surviving. So um, we owe our country's current existence. You know, people talk about our founding fathers. Well, one of our founding fathers nearly cost us our independence. And uh, we owe it. We owe our, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop right there because I'm going to give you a one final uncomfortable fact. Um. As much as people want to say we owe, in fact, I'm going to, I'm going to reword what I'm going to say. As much as a lot of people say that we owe our existence to our founding fathers, and yeah, we do, because they created the first revolution, we essentially had to fight a second revolution, and we owe the victory of the second revolution to a pirate and Mother Nature, or the forces of God. The British moved in, so this is a new uncomfortable fact. The British moved in, uh, Mal, uh, Dolly Madison was literally just like 30 minutes or 20 minutes um, away from the British having captured her as she orchestrated the, the, um, the exodus of the White House which included saving every single piece of artwork. British came in like 20 or 30 minutes after, found the White House basically empty. They burned the fucking White House down, if I remember correctly. And in the middle of the White House burning, a hurricane came in and wiped them out. I mean, it, it, it wiped, it put out the fire, wiped out a lot of uh, the equipment that the British had, caused them serious problems. In addition to that, because I'm talking about Mother Nature, because our armies were outnumbered uh, down in um, New Orleans, among other areas, we had absolutely no chance of resistance. It was like, uh, uh, you know, I don't even know what the final count was. It was some outrageous number. It was, it was well above 10 to 1, British outnumbering us. And we didn't even have a well-supplied militia. They were just people who had, it, it was even worse than during the Revolutionary War. 
the British had better equipment. By now, the British had better equipment. We, we have the same equipment. The British started falling over from heat exposure. So not only was there a hurricane that wiped out the British invasion, but the heat wave wiped out the British men. And there were account after account after account in, in numerous battlefields of people saying the British soldiers just started falling down. That was due to the heavy woolen outfits. And nobody really has a satisfactory explanation as to why did the British wear that kind of uniform? And why did they create that kind of uniform? Because it was like the only uniform they had. And one of the suppositions is that due to the British no longer having great access to colonial cotton, they decided to just go after their own wool stocks and supplies instead. Another explanation I've seen is, well, the British were preparing for a lot of fighting uh, in Europe uh, and specifically supplied cold winter uniforms to their men and never replaced them during the summer. Whatever the answer or is, we essentially owe our current existence to what is basically we can view as our second revolution or our second battle with the British. And that involved being, having our asses saved by a pirate and Mother Nature or God or the Lady Columbia, however you want to look at it. So, um, yeah, uh, it wasn't by the skill of our men. It wasn't by some dramatic Valley Forge rescue. Our country would have ended in 1814 or 1816 had we not been blessed with a heat wave, a giant fucking hurricane, and the friendliness of a French pirate, Jean Lafitte, right? Because uh, Jackson, for all of his great military planning, <laughs> the only decision that he made that was an intelligent one during that war, or that was the, the, that really mattered. I shouldn't say intelligent. He did make a few intelligent decisions. He was an abusive piece of fucking filth. The only decision he made that mattered was hiring the pirate. And uh, Dolly Madison, I mean, she saved she saved uh, every damn thing she could out of the White House. And, and I think she saved everything. I think that's exactly what it was. She was a tough lady. She was a tough lady. And, uh, I mean, I guess you could say there's... One more uncomfortable fact, um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I'll go ahead. Uncomfortable fact, final uncomfortable fact. Um, 
a lot of the so-called issues of kidnapping people and uh, screwing with merchant lanes and all that crap that led to the War of 1812 were resolved. A couple of them were resolved before the war even began. And uh, all of the rest were resolved before the war ended. And yet the British troops still attacked. A lot of people like to say, Oh, the Battle of, of New Orleans was was uh, a useless battle. They, the war had already ended. No, motherfucker, it wasn't a useless battle. It was an exercise of military superiority by the British. They didn't not know that a treaty had been signed. They were there to break the morale of the colonists, to show them. And I call them colonists because that's what the British called them. Even then, because even then, they refused to recognize the United States as, as an entity. The vast majority of, of uh, Parliament refused to recognize them as, as a, you know, an actual country. And they would refer to them as colonists in the records. So they wanted to show the colonists that at any time they could crush them. And they wanted to crush the colonists to, to claim that you're not really a country. You exist by the will of the king and God only. And a lot of dumb fuck historians don't understand that. Because they don't understand how the military mind thinks. So, yeah, the real uncomfortable fact is Britain came over really not because of, of any sort of demands. They were just trying to provoke the colonists in order to have an excuse to lay a beat down. And look who got beat down. 2-0, baby. America versus Britain. 2-0. <laughs> and then we saved Britain's life a couple times. I don't know. I think we're like 17-0 and 0 by now. Uh, <laughs> anyway. So, uh, last one may or may not be an uncomfortable fact, depending on how you look at it. A couple of them may or may not be uncomfortable facts. I mean, owing our country's current existence to God, Mother Nature, Lady Columbia, however you want to look at it, and a pirate may or may not be up your alley. Uh, you know, just keep in mind, pirates were not very nice people. They love to rape, pillage, and, and murder. So, uh, yeah. Uh, then again, apparently, some of our forefathers like to rape, pillage, and murder too. So, I mean, who, who, who am I to fucking judge? Uh, yeah, Thomas Jefferson was... I mean, it may sound like I'm defending him a lot. But he really fucked us over and I don't really like him. Um... You know, so, uh, 
Uh, just putting things into perspective from a historical point of view does not mean that I support the person. You know, I, I just try to keep people's point of views aligned properly so that when they see some really horrible things, they might think, okay, yeah, yeah, no, this is really horrible. This is why they did it. This was their perspective. 60 or 70% of the people back then would have done the same fucking thing. So yeah, it was a pretty fucking horrible time. You know? Uh, that's what a historical point of view means. It does not mean that you're actually defending someone for actions that you find immoral. Anyway, so uh, maybe that's an uncomfortable fact. You know, a, a lot of people find it uncomfortable because they don't like using a historical point of view in order to examine things or look at things. Well, all I can say is don't fucking study history. Just be ignorant and go about your life. So uh, you guys all have a wonderful day. Take care. Love you all. Bye.